You sound good and you look good. What is happening, my friend? Hey, good morning. Good. Good morning. Good to be. Well, I had an echo there. That was crazy. Well, maybe you are uh, hearing. You're thinking the same thing <laughs> twice. Oh my <laughs> god! I can barely get through one thought at a time. What was the echo? Was it on your voice? Oh, so I don't know. That was weird. Maybe you were just dreaming about me. You you ever heard uh, um, the 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 weather guy on uh, the Today Show? Um, uh, when he goes Sunday, Sunday, and it has that echo on Sunday, yeah, Sunday. Yeah. Is that who is that? Al Roker. Al Roker. Yeah. 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 What a gig that is to be the weatherman. I mean, that guy's got to make millions of dollars a year. Yeah, he's been uh, he's been um, he's been actually doing the weather uh, on the Today Show recently because the um, the gal that typically does the weather on that show it got pregnant for like the tenth time, and she's been out. <laughs> so. So he has he has to work. Yeah, he has to actually do the work. I think he has some type of formal training or whatever you get to be a meteorologist. Is that what it is? <laughs> meteorologist, I guess so. Because think about it. I looked this up one time many, many years ago. Yeah. And you see these newscasters like go all the way back to these fucking cockamamie newscasters here <laughs> in L.A. You remember the guy, Dallas Rains? Yeah. Is he, he still he, on TV? Yes, and he, um, he looks absolutely um, insane. All the time. He kind of looked like Trump before Trump, like really orange and tan, right? <laughs> yeah, he still looks like that. <laughs> He's got to be oh, some, of the time, some of these guys need, at, at a certain point, some of the local news people need to get on radio. And off of TV, and he's he's at that point. He's definitely at that point. He's just crazy looking. I mean, and then his his thing. He's he's his uh, style. Had his radio voice thing has gotten like what is crazy that? over the years. Yeah, I'm jealous, rage, and I've got the weather. <laughs> you know, it's like come on, dude, relax a little bit. And then, and then of course you've got the slew of um, what is it in the morning? I mean, I know it's marketing. So they got weather girls that are skimpy dresses. Yeah, skin big tight. tits. Yeah, what is the deal? I mean, I get it. I understand why they do that, but of course, it's like it's a competition between the the local news stations to see how sexed up they can get their weather. It's person. almost laughable, right? <laughs> like in this day and age, you can check the weather on your watch, on your phone. You're not watching TV yeah. to check the weather to nah. see what you're going to do and not do. It's it, not here in California. As far as we come uh, with the, you how know, far did you come? <laughs> well, today quite a ways. Um, as far as we've come, as far as women's rights and equality and stuff, and we're about to probably to put a the first black woman on the Supreme Court. Um, it you know the the most space sexist. Uh, misogynistic tendencies, you know, live on in the local newscast. But these broads... Nobody seems to care. Well, they're taking these jobs. I mean, assuming they want these jobs. Oh, I don't, yeah, I don't think anybody's forcing them. I'm sure they pay them well. So. But do you think, because here's where I was going with this on the Dallas Reigns thing yeah. and the uh, Al, Al, Roker. Al Roker. I think those guys had <laughs> formal training in what whatever you need. I mean, what's yeah, the degree? Is it, they're is, they're is all claimed to be meteorologists. Right. right. And so that was something you needed back in the day in the 60s, you know, when you were applying for a job on one of the three news networks. And you said, I can yeah. interpret, you know, what's wh what the data says. I can give you an accurate forecast, not just the pain and the arthritis in my knees <laughs> telling you it's going to rain, but I actually know what this shit says. Yeah. But nowadays, these broads in L.A., do you think they're trained at all, or are they just from central casting? They all say they're meteorologists. Can they, that be they true? They all say they have these degrees and stuff. So how can that be central true? Central casting. <laughs> I just, I just have a hard time imagining that any of them are actually 
sussing through weather information to put together a seven-day forecast. It, exactly. It's just got to be coming to them up on the screen. I mean, so they're good at standing in front. I mean, it would be difficult to stand in front of a green screen and put your hand in the right place. And, you know, uh, here across Orange County, and then their hand goes out to, and it gets magically right in front of Orange County on the screen. They can't see that. I mean. You think that's difficult? I think that's hard. Yeah. I don't think so. I don't think it takes a college degree. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what it takes? is uh, a couple of scenes in the director's chair, you know, Uh-oh. practicing behind uh, closed doors and getting it right a few times. Put your hand where it's supposed to be. Yeah, honey. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, um, I must have spilled water into the charging port. They call it the lightning port on yep. my phone. Because uh, in my uh, vehicle, there's a, there's a lightning cable that I use to charge the phone, but it also is the way that that vehicle connects to the phone for the entertainment stuff, right? So <clears throat> typically on the way here, I listen to some really um, highbrow uh, NPR um, political podcast or something on the way here, uh, or minimally music from my music. From story. your youth. Nothing. nothing. I could get nothing. It was, it was just FM, you and your thoughts and your echoes. FM radio all the way here because when I put the charging cable in there, it said there was water in the lightning It actually port. said that? Yeah. The oh, that's cool. message came on. Because I think I was carrying it in the same hand as my uh, Yeti cup and some water splashed out of the top into the port. I'm well, you're kind sure. of all fumbles because you spilled when you got here too. That's what rushing around does for <laughs> me. So, so then I hit this traffic. So um, I wasn't really on time to get here on time. And then uh, all of a sudden everything stopped. There was a crash up ahead. And my time, I was one minute ahead of the time I was supposed to be here. And then magically it was uh, 30 minutes past the time I was supposed to be here on my arrival time. I'm like, whoa, what the hell? Well, I won't judge you, my friend. Thank you. Appreciate but what that. what's happening? I know you didn't listen today, but you said NPR? Yeah, NPR, National yeah, Public yeah. Radio. Anything so. good happening there? Well, I didn't listen to it, so I know not today you didn't. But is <laughs> well, here's the thing, right? So on there, they they have their people that have kind of been, especially on the political stuff. So I don't know if you know who Nina Totenberg is, but she's mm-hmm. a longtime NPR. Uh, uh, what's the right word? She she she's contributor. The court, yeah, she's a contributor, but she's the um like the Supreme Court, the person that covers the Supreme Court for NPR. So um, she was, of course, on television yesterday talking about the um, the Biden, the, the pot, you know, the potential for uh, President Biden to nominate the first black woman to be on the Supreme Court with a pledge he made during the campaign um, uh, at the behest of uh, Jim Claiborne, uh, the uh, um, the African-American senator that is a pretty close ally of his. He's the one that that told Biden, "You better make this pledge." He was losing. The this black, was during the campaign. This was during the campaign. He was totally losing the black vote. His numbers were sliding. He was in uh, where was it? Was it South Carolina, North Carolina, wherever the hell it was? And he was doing a speech, and so Jim Clyburn kept saying, "Hey, are you gonna are you gonna make this pledge or not?" And uh, he was a little bit hesitant. His people were saying, "Don't do it." Don't do it now. Maybe do that, but don't announce it today. Here, how early on in the campaign was this? This was when it turned for him, right? When he was really kind of lagging, and then and then he made this um, this announcement at this campaign rally, 
And then his numbers picked up, and he that's when he had a really good showing. I think it was South Carolina. And um, he had a really good showing in that primary, and that's it was no looking back from there. And what you're referring to, of course, is the news that Justice Breyer announced his retirement, right. which will grant uh, Biden the opportunity to submit a name for an appointment. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, do you think uh, do you think McConnell has the chonies to to try to delay? Can they delay it for three, three years? years? I don't think so. I mean. I, I didn't. I don't remember that part about him, uh, you know, committing to nominate a black woman. I saw, it's all over the news now. Right. So there's three names, right? And they're all three black women. Well, there have yeah, there were two, and then uh, there's been an additional one. I think that last name is Childs. I'm not. The names aren't burning the brain into my brain yet. But I think the first name of one of them is Katanja. Katanja. Yeah, I think so. I don't remember the other one. What um, are they all like? Uh, lawyers or judges now? Judges, lawyers, yeah. Um, uh, I think it, I think all three of them are. One is on. One is a nominee for some kind of appellate court seat right now. That's the new one, Childs. So, it would be unusual for um, for someone who's already in the nomination process to be pulled out of that process and put in the Supreme Court. But her name is on. You got to be pissed list. off if you're her, right? Like. It's probably a pretty good opportunity to be considered for the appellate court position. And then all of a sudden, your name is tossed into the hat for the Supreme Court. you got to be like, fuck, well, bad you know, timing. You know, this whole thing's interesting to me. I I wasn't really following the the court appointments, uh, um, f- f- you know, during his first year for Biden thing. So he's he has a successfully nominated uh, over 40 uh, – uh, Judges, federal judges, yeah, and and that's pretty phenomenal. And let, me, so, let me just stop you right there. Um, so those got through confirmation, yeah. No, um, no issue. No, if they've had because they they there's no way if all the Democrats vote together, there's no way to stop an an, an appointment uh, or a nomination. Any? Do you know what, and how some much? Of them, some of them have had bipartisan. That's support. what I was going to ask. So it doesn't yeah. sound like much opposition from the Republicans on any of the forty. No, I think some of them were straight straight party line votes, but some of them weren't. What do you see happening with the Supreme Court? It should be a straight party line vote. I you mean, think? Yeah, I think that all the Republicans will. I mean, one of the nominees, Katanja, I think, um, was was uh, her previous appointment was a bipartisan you know, vote, uh, confirmation. Um, but who knows, right? I mean, already it's been, you know, you get the, I mean, I don't know how much you've been watching. You said you've seen it on the news. So there's a whole bunch of crap coming from the right right now that this is outrageous, that Biden would limit the selection to only black women, that that's just, that's unprecedented, blah, 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 blah. blah. It's just nonsense, right? Well, that's that's funny you say that because, I mean, here's here's what my thought about that. I we're clearly at a point where we need to do this. I understand all the reasons why we need to do it. But isn't it fucking crazy that white people in this country have fucked things up for so many hundreds of years that we're at this point where we have to do it? And and here's here's the parallel. Like you you can Biden can say that and it has all the, that he will nominate a black woman uh-huh. and it has all the gravity that it should and and and, and I think it does need to happen uh-huh. but do you, could you do you think you could say the same thing like if he said uh, we need to nominate a gay man to the supreme court like could that could you say that now and have it have the same understanding that I think it does by saying we need to appoint a black woman 
That's a. I think that's a, a good question. I don't really know the answer. I really have to think that one through a little bit. Um, I'm not sure. I see the, the the impetus to put. I mean, there may be gay people on the court already. We, we <laughs> not, I don't really know. Um, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah, the, the argument from the Republicans is rooted in all the evils that come from the Republicans by by making that comment. However, if you just look at it for what it is, could you go in another tangent? Like you couldn't say uh, we have to nominate a gay person or we have to nominate a one-legged person <laughs> or, or anything else. You can only say in this moment in history, in this moment in time, it has to be a black woman and that's okay. And it is by me. I'm, I'm not disputing it. Yeah. But isn't it crazy that we're, we as humans have fucked things up so much that that's where we are? Well, I guess. I don't know. I guess I could agree with that. <laughs> I uh, I do want to point out that of course there's there's nothing unprecedented about this right. Um, uh, it was Ronald Reagan that per the first woman on the court. He made a campaign. Uh, his numbers were so bad. His approval numbers with women since he had been a vocal opponent of the of women of the NRA, <laughs> not NRA the uh, the uh, ERA the the uh, Equal Rights Amendment. Um, that still hasn't passed. Um, uh, he had been very vocal about being against that, and uh, and so this and this was during his presidency. Who did he appoint? Was, he appointed Senator Day O'Connor. That's right. We right. looked it up one time on the podcast. I, I think forgot. so. Yeah. So um, uh, uh, yeah, it was interesting. And so, I mean, you break these these glass ceilings one way or another, right? So, um, I mean. <clears throat> Could Obama have appointed a black woman? Well, you know, for nominated sure. a black woman in in if it's so why didn't he? And my guess would be he didn't for a number of reasons. One, that because he was the first black president, it would look almost like um uh like you if you were up nominating your daughter or something. You think oh, so? wait a minute, you wait a minute, he... Trump did that. That's right. His <laughs> children were all advisors. You something. think he thought about that? Well, I'm sure he did. I mean, he, his, I mean, I don't, did he, he the only nomination he made, right, was, uh, um, wow. would he put Sotomayor? No, he, he was, was now it gonna just make me Merrick? look it up again? Was it just Merrick Garland? No, he got one through, I thought. Did he? So, so that last try, Merrick Garland certainly, you know, was uh, not a black woman. Right. So, so I don't know. I find it interesting. But, I mean, it's, it's obviously politically expedient for Joe Biden. Um, and it comes at an opportune time for him since his commitment to voting to, you know, to voting rights legislation looks like it's hitting a block wall. And uh, so that's going to cost him with with black constituency. But. Um, it, this will go a long way toward getting him back in the good graces of that part of his constituency. Maybe he didn't. I don't see that he got one through. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a whole lot. Oh, wait, here he did. Never mind. Who? Uh, Somebody I can't remember the name of. Well, these are result. Uh, Kagan and Sotomayor. Kagan. He, he, he got both of them on. Huh? Yeah. Kagan. Okay. And he nominated Garland, and that didn't happen. Right. So... You know, I don't know. Sort of my ear. My ear. Hispanic. Uh, yeah. Uh, and she's a woman. So, you know, when they asked um, RBG uh, how many women should be on the Supreme Court, her answer was always nine. Did they ask her that? <laughs> yeah. 
She goes, what? Because there's was something to be said for that, though. Yeah. I think you know, there's a lot of data actually uh, about women in leadership roles. You know, when you whether it's Fortune 500 companies, you know, small business analytics, but there is there is data that that shows that you know maybe by a small margin but that women leadership actually have better results than you know when it's under the helm of a man okay <laughs> and listen i'm not throwing our side under the bus but our team <laughs> i mean if you, you you probably in 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 a scenario of a court right the supreme court nine justices sitting in a room listening to arguments and their job is to come out with you know the answer to solve the problem I think nine women would be able to do that more effectively than nine dudes, don't you think? There's got to be a bunch of dick slinging and other, you know, machismo in there. Wow. I, I'm just thinking of parallels to our own yeah. industry, our own work, our own. What are there three women on the court now? Now or just two? Uh, Coney and uh, and Sotomayor. Yeah, I think so. No, Kagan's still there, right? Is Kagan a woman? I believe. Is that so. a woman? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I need to see the picture of the Supreme Court, right? <laughs> um, so interesting. I mean, it doesn't really doesn't really help to address the imbalance now between you know liberals and conservatives on the court. Um, putting, I mean, we would we would think that the black woman nominee will be more liberal than conservative. Um, I mean, I think that's part of the calculus for Biden to choose. I mean. Um, so I think it's optics too. I mean, that's really what we're talking about. That if you go back to where he was asked to make a pledge during his campaign to do that, because he did something similar with his VP pick, he said early on, it will be a woman. So he already made that distinction that no matter what, if there are good qualified, you know, male or non-binary <laughs> VP candidates, they're not it. It will be a woman. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that part of his, um, uh, part of his, agenda is to is to get you know uh, as far as appointments go one way or the other or picks so you know i mean i think that kamala harris uh um just as a woman just you know as a vice presidential uh uh as a vice president um and then of course a, a woman of color um you know just uh just part of the program for him and i think that's part of what he thinks needs to happen to kind of correct uh you know some of the imbalance of of you know so many white males in these positions i i am increasingly more frustrated with harris and and almost putting her at the same level as aoc Which, where, why don't we get I her can't... on the supreme court <laughs> i don't know is she qualified for that she is yeah she's got the qualifications um yeah but then would, we'd be stuck with her for life she would never yeah well, I do you mean, think I, she would look at that as a demotion? Well, what, tell me, why, why are you more frustrated with? What, I just can't stand anything she says. She doing? And I, I said this to you last week that the Democrats are fucking it up as far as their strategy and their messaging. Mm -hmm. And listen, I, let them fail. That's good for me. I hate their policies, <laughs> but I mean, I just think that she, in particular, I cited to you last week that you know they're they're missing the boat on the more important issues. You and I, we have our ear to the ground. We know what the American people want yeah. as far as solutions and all of the things that will make this country better. Yeah, it's like I told Debbie this morning. I go, listen, I know what people want. She goes, oh, you represent, I go, I represent the, the, the thoughts of all Americans. That's right. And she's like, 
oh, you think you're represented? <laughs> because you're a fucking legend in your own mind. <laughs> hey, listen, you got you have to have the confidence and the gravitas to do that. So, but uh, she's, I mean, I she just bugs the fuck out of me. And a really? lot of I never think about her. Ever. I see the news articles about her and the things I see on Twitter, all the things that she is responsible for. For putting out there. In other words, this is the message that she wants you to see and hear about. Yeah. Well, that's your bubble. You've you've done a lot of anti-Harris twittering, and uh, or tweeting, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, and so you are seeing a lot of uh, stuff about her in your feeds, one way or the other. I bet she's all. over But I'm here. also looking for things that she's doing and saying. I'll give you an example. One thing that clearly she's is the vice president. She's not doing much, like she, all vice presidents. I know, but but. It, she could she could be quiet and she should be quiet and just she's been quiet she's not one thing that's very that she's very passionate about uh, happens to be i guess uh lead in drinking water you know like the whole flint michigan thing yeah um and i nobody wants lead in the water and that's bad uh but is it the biggest issue like if i didn't say that to you would oh, you have God. thought that we still have lead in the water you know what i know I, I do actually know about that issue <laughs> and, and here's my question for you um I'm not going to say the city, uh, but if the if if the drinking water that your children were being exposed to had lead in it, wouldn't it be the most expen- the most uh, important issue to you? I, mean, I don't know, maybe. But how? So let well, me. Uh, how big is. of an here's, issue is here, it really? Here, well, here's what lead in the water. Here's what the issue is with lead in the water. It is the most important issue, and the 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 main victim of that situation is tr- children. Yeah, developmentally. You know, stunts them. No doubt, of, and, of course. And and so, it yet it is not being eradicated. You know, it doesn't appear to be anybody's priority. And the main reason is that it mostly affects poor black families. And so, when that's the situation, even though it may get some foothold in the news for a short period of time, it goes away and is forgotten. And and. And then it is becomes the priority does not continue to receive the priority because it's not fixed. I understand all that, and right. I'm not trying to diminish the problem. And and the, sort the, and of sounds no, like but it. here's here's <laughs> again, this has to do with kind of the. I'm trying to the, save you from yourself. You don't have to save me. <laughs> Just the the optics of it. In other words, you know, this is this is something that she's passionate about, and I don't mean for this to be a sexist thing or whatever. But you know how. Uh, I guess historically it's all been first ladies have passion projects, whether it was like Michelle Obama was the get fit thing. She has something to do with children. And yeah. uh, Melania's was like anti-bullying or whatever. Nancy Reagan, the war on drugs. <laughs> Satanic Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> the point is that Kamala's messaging sounds less VP like to me and more first lady to me, like a passion project. Like again, of course it's important. Of course it needs to be solved. Maybe she's picking it up because she has influence as a VP versus whatever local authorities are not doing their jobs. But it's the optics. She's not balancing it with the more important problems in this country. To like? Well, inflation, I brought it up. Well, I think I think that the I think that she sees the role and I think most vice presidents see the role as support as a support role for the president. And that's not any of the things he's talking about. Well, but here's the thing. I mean, she's fully supported the build back better and, you know, the voting rights and these things. 
she's totally on board with all of those things. Uh, I, you know, this lead and the water thing. I don't know. I haven't. I haven't personally heard her speak to that, but I don't follow her stuff in social media. Like, I don't. I don't follow what she says on Twitter. Um, and so I really haven't heard it. So I think I, she's I think struggling. That might be your impression that that's a big thing for her more than and that's no. I don't think that if you did a poll, hey, what's the most important issue that Kamala Harris is dealing with as vice president? Lead in the water. I don't think that's going to be. You know what? Choice. She she wouldn't even know. She's struggling to find her identity. <laughs> she's cares? struggling to find what her role really is. Is she supposed to be a support role and get behind the president's agenda? You know what her most important function is. That what? she is fulfilling completely, one hundred percent. Yeah, she's she picking up the briefcase in case re- Biden drops dead. She remains alive. That's in right. Case Biden drops dead. That's exactly right. So there's and been she'll a- be, you know, p- trying to clean the water, and uh, she won't be able to find the nuclear codes. Yeah, I don't think she's gonna. I don't think she's gonna run for president, no matter what happens. Uh, um, I I don't I don't just I don't see him running for president. In 24. He can, right? I, I mean, he can, but I, I just, I, I'm hoping not. I mean, I just don't think I want an 82-year-old president, regardless of who he is. I mean, the most catastrophic thing that could happen, maybe not the most, but here's a doomsday scenario for you. He dies on the job between now and the next three years. She automatically becomes president. Mm-hmm. And then what, hap- what happens to the VP spot? Does she pick? Mm-hmm. Does she have the sole authority to I think I think she's gonna pick a vice president. Um, yeah, I think so. we should know this. Yeah, we should. I think as good citizens. Well, let's think what happened. I mean, Ford was a vice president for um, Nixon. Nixon, um, well, he was the second vice president for Nixon. Spiro T. Agnew was the first, the most corrupt politician in history. Um, he was gone. Ford was the VP, right? And uh, and then Nixon resigned. Ford became president. And then who was the uh, who was Ford's vice president? I don't know. uh, Some um, some wingnut. um. (laughs) 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 Oh, my God. Uh, It was somebody really bad. Um, Wow. I don't know. We have to. I don't know. I'm not. I don't either. Isn't that crazy? We don't know the answer. But but just think about it. That that. Is not an impossibility. Well, I mean, it is of no concern to me. It's not that she, if she becomes president, I don't think that matters. I think she would be fine, um, and then that that would be that that thing would be done. There, okay, now we've had a, a president, even if it was not to you know not elected in a general election. Would she? You know, would she win re-election? Or Absolutely, something? Not. It seems doubtful to me. What's What's a worse scenario? She doesn't have good polling numbers now. She's so. terrible. So, She's but, a bad communicator. You know she what? seems out of touch. Unlike Biden's is down in the you know high 30s or something, which is terrible. Is that lower than Trump ever got? Uh, not lower than Trump, but it's it's um, it's not really good for a Democratic president. Um, but it, look, it's there's been a lot of stuff going on. And like you said, the messaging has been kind of off base. Pl- lots of time to turn all that around. So it's very possible that his numbers go back up to being high. I mean. George Bush was in the toilet with his approval rating till nine eleven, and then you know, you know, if you want to, he was never I, that long, was he? He was pretty bad. I mean, he he was nothing. He was nothing, and then um uh and then 
9-11, then it was like 75%. So that's pretty hard to beat. Of course, it, it went back down. But, um, yeah, I just don't think it matters that much. Listen, Biden had a couple of jobs to do, and and he's done them already. Plus, you know, you know, you may or may not agree with this, but I saw the numbers this morning. The, the We are at a 37-year high as far as gross uh, GDP goes. And it's in the last year of Trump's, the GDP was negative. I hate these statistics. So, yeah, well, I mean, it's impressive. Look at it on a graph. It's also, it's, it's also it's, misleading. Well, I mean. This is it, the other part of the messaging. The economy is strong, and there's nothing strong. misleading about the GDP. Here's what's, here's what's misleading. And it's another part of the messaging that Kamala always touts about the, you know, how great the Democrats are doing, the jobs growth uh, since 2020. Listen, listen, the economy is always better under Democrats than it is Republicans. I, I don't know if that's true or not. Well, but but here's, here's, here's the problem. Well, it was great under Trump. It, it, it was in the toilet under Trump. It, it, it ended in the toilet under Trump right. because and of COVID, it but it was great for three years. And not because no, of no, Trump the either. Three years prior to being in the toilet, it was half of what it is right now. That, that, that's not great. Well, listen, that doesn't mean it was bad. It was great. It was from it, where it was. It was lower than almost all the GDPs for the years prior. To, uh, his time in office was not great economy. It was just fictitious. It was good Wall Street, but well, first the of economy, all, Main Street was not good. GDP is a combination of all goods and services. The value of that, right? Gro- gross domestic product. Right. Well, when prices of shit go up, of course that number goes up. So we're experiencing massive, and so I'm not totally disagreeing with you, but the 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 Trump economy was better than where it left off under Obama. In other words, it kept this upward trend, and it wasn't because of Say Trump. Again, now, what was that last statement? I said that the economy continued to grow, and it was better under Trump than where Obama left it. It continued an upward trend, and I'm not saying Trump Ugh. gets credit for that. Yeah, he doesn't. But are you telling me that? Bush After took the economy into the absolute gutter, caused the the the, the, the depression or recession, or whatever you want to call it, two thousand eight. That was all on Bush, all, and and when Obama came in, he inherited the worst economy since nineteen twenty nine, mm-hmm. and he drove it back up. And I don't know; I'd have to look. I mean, it depends what the measuring stick is, but. Trump did nothing except be there, and it was it was he did nothing to make the economy better. The only thing it he did was better during his first three years. That's right, because of the eight the previous eight years of Obama, nothing to do with Trump. And then that's mostly he managed true. To drive it into the toilet. The well, last uh, that's all. That's completely false. So it was mostly true, then <laughs> completely false at the end. Here's. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's that's one of the better um, assessments of one of my theories from you that I've ever gotten. Here's what I'll say about that. Yeah. I agree with you uh, regarding Obama's work in his eight years and driving the economy back up mm-hmm. from where it was under Bush. Mm-hmm. The only influence Trump had in that is that he wasn't Hillary. And we've talked about this before. And remember, there was this is my opinion anyway, there was this fear factor of Hillary becoming president. And so immediately after the election when Trump won and not Hillary, there was a massive bump in the stock market and and a, and a jolt to the economy. And I think there was it was all because of the psychological fear factor. Mm. It's not because of any work Trump did. In other words, it was almost instantaneous. 
And of course, Trump didn't have any time to make that happen. He rode the wave, no doubt about it. And he and he touted that every opportunity he got. But conversely, he also, the economy under his watch, uh, collapsed because of COVID. And that's not his fault either. That was that was a completely unforeseen, uncontrollable event. And the reaction to it globally is what caused the economy. Well, to, it wasn't a systems failure, if we're being cre- honest. You can't give him the credit for the previous three years. I understand. Which he had nothing to do for and then and then exempt him from the blame. It happened on his but watch. You can, but you can do this. You cannot give him the credit, which I'm attempting to do, for the previous three years. And you can also not hold him accountable for COVID because it wasn't a systems That's failure. That's fine. But, but th- th- this is in response to the nonsense coming out of the right now about how bad – Biden has been for the economy. I get you. That is patently not true. It's Have you not simply, heard me defend simply, Biden? Yeah, yeah. And it and it is just simply misinformation that that the economy has gotten worse under Biden. That is ridiculous. Well, I haven't heard that, and I certainly wouldn't agree with that. But here's well, the here's the point that I push back on that I can't stand. Republican. When the Democrats tout their work on the economy, they start the baseline at the pandemic, which is bullshit. You know, we've created X many jobs since the pandemic. The the uh, uh, unemployment rate is down since the pandemic. That's not a fair baseline. Go back to where it was before. I'm sure there's improvement, but is it the at the rate that they're citing? Is it 500,000 percent increase from 2020? After a year of the uh, Biden administration, unemployment has gone from one of the historically worst. Uh, Where's the starting numbers? Point? Into under four percent. Well, what was it? Was it was it twenty percent? Right. So why was unemployment? Here's the most important question. Why was unemployment at the start of Biden's presidency at one of the worst points in history? <laughs> because because his fucking because party the, cratered the economy. No, it wasn't his party. It was. It was all. It was largely democratically controlled. Well, then then uh, okay. So so you know was it. Oh, so was it Obama's fault that no. that, that the economy in 2008 when he it became was, president was completely underwater and fucked up and No. Okay. That was that was largely because of banking <laughs> and and knee-jerk wrong reactions to how to solve the financial crisis. So well, Obama inherited that. I well, I'm I, with I, you. Look, I think I can agree I think I I can agree with your assessment that most of this has little to do with the president no matter who it is. But but the, here's the thing that I'm trying to speak in response to are the constant is the constant bell ringing from the conservatives, from the right, from Republicans, how, whatever, however you want to name that group, you know, a, a currently elected Republicans in holding elected office. They are, they only, you know, again, they have no platform. They have no goals. There's no <laughs> they plan. Don't. It's right? so funny. They, all they can do is talk about, you know, how bad shit is and and in and so now after the year mark for the biden presidency they want to talk about how bad the economy is and that statement in and of itself is just patently not true the economy is robust unemployment's under four percent it's as good as it gets inflation is is high right now and um you know that too has nothing to do with him, right? There's there are the supply chain issues and things, which again has more to do with the pandemic than anything else. And so um, I'm just saying that, hey, it, you know, if you want to assess how the economy's doing, you have to look at what it is right now. And right now, the economy's great. Yeah. So here's Democrats are being very misleading about their statistics. I don't agree with the result, 
you know, the economy is good, but they are very misleading in their messaging for the reasons I said. But you're right. The Republicans are like little fucking school children that, that, that their attacks are just ridiculous. I see what's I see what's going on out there. They're, well, that's good. That's good. I'm glad. I'm sure. <laughs> they really don't have any good rebuttals. They don't have any statistics or examples they can cite as to why they're saying what they're saying. Republicans? Yeah, yeah it's, it's it's really kind of just make it up out of whole kind time. of it's really kind of bad what's happening. Well, listen, here's the they have adopted I don't, you know, it's just again, I mean, we've talked about this so much. The Republicans have just adopted a policy of just making shit up and saying whatever they want. They they just I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, I'd like to listen to both sides and, and try to give each their due, except there is no due credit I can give anything I hear out of the Republican side of things for almost, I, I can't even remember how long it's been. Certainly it's because the all of the, the thinkers time. on the Republican Party have abandoned the party. Well, I guess. I don't know. Where are they all at? The Heritage Foundation? <laughs> Who or knows? Have they all become chiropractors? I, you know, it's I, what I see is... It, this goes back to the two-party system, and I think so many more people are like you that want to see that system intact because maybe it's the best way forward. But I think a lot of Republicans who might be – and I can't even name them, honestly. But let's say there are, there are some middle-of-the-road, level-headed thinkers in the Republican Party, maybe historically names that we could come up with. They're afraid to leave the party because there's no viable alternative for them. They think, well, I've got to stay here and continue to influence the party back to the center so we can you know, make shit happen. But I can't abandon the party. Clearly, I wouldn't go to the Democratic Party, but I can't go independent because I have no chance for victory there. You mean the, the Republican? Yeah. The, well, I mean, I, 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 could, I wish I could even think of a name on the Republican side. Uh you know, I can think of plenty that have left. Well, I always say a guy like Kasich, Kasich, however you say his name, yeah, uh, Ohio governor, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know what he's up to now. I, you know, maybe he's fishing all day long. I have no idea what he's doing. Is he still in politics? I've seen him on TV not too long ago. But, but he was a guy that, you know, was was a, a Republican official, elected um, mm-hmm. Republican Party governor of a state. He ran for president. He sounded pretty level-headed to me, you know, I, didn't look up his life story. I don't know what he's about. But where's the guy like him now? What's he saying? What's he doing? Has he abandoned the party? Has he doubled down on the Republican rhetoric? But, but that's that's a voice of reason, I would say. A Colin Powell recently passed away. Yeah, I was going to say. His, he never abandoned the party, right? He took that other alternative. <laughs> yeah, going up to the stars. Um, as your child would say. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. Um, I think that he was, uh, I think he spent the last um part of his political career regretting you know having <clears throat> having bought into the huge lie regarding weapons of mass destruction in Iraq and being being you know strongly responsible for that war taking place imagine <clears throat> the guilt that he had to deal with over that not only for the american lives lost but for the the hundreds of thousands of Iraqi lives. I mean, when it comes down to it and you're thinking about this, and I don't think you think about it like that. I think you just, you know, I think if you, if you're involved in a decision to go to war as a politician of any type, I, I don't envy that position, but I, and I would think that there's always, at some point you're going to sit and think about it. Right. And but I would th- if you sit and think about it and you feel like the cause was justified, mm-hmm. that's how you're going to deal with it. Right. If you, 
if you if you're on if you find out that you were on the wrong side of and and you know played a, an extensive role in the decision to go to war uh on on the back of a lie that you were but that's too, different too silly not to understand finding well, out i could see it from yeah, here i but, knew it was a fucking but lie. even some of your heroes didn't know uh you know but see finding out it was a lie is different than knowing it was a lie to begin with well finding out it's a lie when you know find and realizing that you should have known here's the thing there was zero proof so i mean i it didn't pass the smell test from the beginning. I think that, and I think he was quoted as saying how much he regretted that that whole. Situation. That's probably true, right? But but don't you think that that's different than if he knew that it was blatantly false that that, that they you know, they had evidence conversely to say that you mean uh, like it would happen today? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but but actually going in and saying, um, you know, I knew that this was a mistake. We had evidence to show that. This wasn't happening, yet we did it anyway. That's different. And how could you live well, with I, yourself? I think. Listen, I think Colin Powell would would, would was not a, 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 a man in on the political side that would have backed a, a war based on a lie. I agree with even, that. You know, it, it, simply because that you know that would that would result in political gain for his party, which is what that was about. And and then uh, I don't think he would. Now I, I I struggle to think of a of a Republican politician who would give a shit. Um, who would you know? It appears that they will gladly um, engage with any lie um, on the political stage that as long as they think it results in an increase or maintenance of Republican power at either the state or federal level. And I think it's disgusting. That's I just, probably true. Yeah. What about a guy like Rand Paul? Is he a Republican or is he an independent? He's a libertarian. He is, right? Because he's one guy I can well, think of. His, like, he, like him or not, he's one guy that I don't think would go along with a war rhetoric without, you know, without proof. No, I don't know. He, he's so full of shit and tells so many lies already. I'm not sure he could fit in another one, right? I, <laughs> I mean, and you know, he's the he's he's the son of you know possibly your Messiah, right? <laughs> Ron Paul, yeah, right. So he is a Republican. Why is he my Messiah? Well, Ron Paul is the father of libertarians, but he's he's a he's a full doomsday prepper too. I don't know. Is he dead? Isn't he? Dead? I don't think so. Ron Paul? No, he's selling doomsday books. Is he? Yeah. Doomsday <laughs> prepper. Um, well, he's the father of libertarian political. Hey, let me ask you this. He is ran that for president? For do we want to, do we want to throw out any good idea despite all the bad ideas that come from s stupid or bad people? Like I, I used this example the other day with someone. Okay. You're going to caution me when I say this, but okay. if, if Hitler. Oh. Who everybody knows, yes. If Hitler created the cure for cancer, would we not use that cure for cancer today because it came from Hitler? Is that where we're at? Where we're, uh, we're, we're identifying, you know, everything that comes from a person as bad because of the because of the source of because of where it came from. I mean, is that where we are? Uh, wow, that is an incredibly crazy question. It is. That's uh. the fun of the podcast. Why not? Well, it's so crazy that uh, I can say it because it has you know, no basis in fact or okay. truth. But you know what I mean. <laughs> um, I see so many ways to get in trouble here. 
Um, I think if we were aware of a cure for cancer, I I don't know that the origin of that that knowledge would be uh, you know would would be enough to cause us to. Know. I get what you're saying. Or, like I, I get changing the name or or saying it didn't come from Hitler, but you'd still use it if it worked. Well, I mean. Uh, uh, wow. <laughs> Did I stump you this morning? Yeah, that's more than I really. I feel like brain fog <laughs> for that question. I have to think. It's funny. It's not funny because we just passed another milestone, you know, or some kind of day it was like, um, what's it? Holocaust Remembrance Day yeah. it was like day before yesterday yeah. or something. Plus, we just experienced a, 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 a hostage situation in a synagogue recently that, uh, thank God, only resulted in the death of the perpetrator. But obviously, anti-Semitism is on the rise, and, and it's sad to me that um, <clears throat> this far down the line, 77-some-odd years after the closure of Auschwitz, that, that we are still dealing with stuff like that. And I'm not Jewish, but I feel terrible for American Jews, especially that, especially ones that had come here um, as a result of the Holocaust or after the Holocaust or who are second generation children with parents that had lived through that, that now don't feel safe here anymore. Like they once said that, that, well, we'll never have to worry about about feeling unsafe simply because we're Jewish, simply because we're in a synagogue. Um, so it's just sad. And um, it's more of, it is more evidence of the, of the result of um, the, the anti-Semitism, the racism and the nonsense that we're allowing to slowly creep into the mainstream thoughts Right. And a lot of it, you know, some really disturbing statistics and I don't have it. I can't remember the whole thing, but a surprising amount of Gen Zers and millennials apparently have little to no knowledge of the Holocaust. I was going to I'm glad you mentioned that because um, I was reading something. And there's a lot of debate going on uh, about information that is taught in schools and the most High profile one is around critical race theory and you know, which isn't doesn't even exist. But. I'm, I'm using that term because that's what it's coined and yeah, everybody know. knows that. And, and you know, the history of slavery and the history of the founding of this country. That's the big one that you hear. But there's other stuff in schools. We might have talked about, you know, Dr. Seuss, some of his books being removed and, and, and you can continue to peel back the onion to find these stories. One that I just read about was information about the Holocaust and how little maybe that is being taught anymore in schools. And I, I forget at what age or grade you learn certain things. Mm-hmm. Like, you know how it used to be a this grade you learn American history and then you go to U.S. or world history and so on and so forth. I forget the age groups. But the point is uh, that information is being stripped down. And that speaks to what you just said, that, that g- generations, large groups of people have – you know, no knowledge of of important moments in history, and like we always say, what's the adage? If you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it. I think all these things are so important to teach, even if they're uncomfortable, and that's the point. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with talking about uncomfortable, touchy yeah. subjects, and yeah. making people feel 
I don't want you to feel good all the time. I don't like watching movies that always have a happy ending. You have to feel and hurt and, uh-huh. and, and cry and be motivated to maybe do something about it. Yeah. I mean, I think that when you hear the criticism you hear uh, from the right, mostly about critical race theory, about teaching it or not teaching or whatever, you know, the funny part is that um, there have actually there has actually been some state legislation right. that speaks to it in states that don't teach it to begin with um governor the 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 guy young 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 youngton 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 the guy that just the the far right um guy that just won a gubernatorial race in virginia or something like that tennessee wherever the fuck it was um and he's he's he 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 tried to distance himself from from Trump, but then turns out in 10 weeks to be more Trump than anybody thought. And it, a lot of this is going on in his state right now, which is why it's kind of been in the news. And he has supported in the state legislature there has passed some kind of shit about it, critical race theory thing. But here's the thing. You you nailed it in what you were saying a minute ago. It's not really about critical race theory. It's not really about the Holocaust. It's about the, the right does not want to teach their children anything about they don't want to teach your children about things that have historical things that have happened that that will make them feel uncomfortable because they're white and this is a problem right um uh they they all children no matter what their race is need to learn about these things for the reason you cited if you don't learn this stuff you're you're much more likely to repeat it Mm -hmm. um and so the fact is that this the, the 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 far right has become extremely uncomfortable with the idea of teaching their children true historical f- information about any things in the past that make them feel uncomfortable, such as slavery, which was perpetrated by whites on blacks, such as the Holocaust, which was perpetrated by Uber Aryans on the far right against. The, uh, against Jews and all people of color. It wasn't just the Jews. I mean, they certainly took the brunt of it. But, yeah, largely. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, this isn't, those two things are the same thing. And the lack, and when you get down to it and you say, well, that's just the fringe and, you know, nobody really cares what they think about it. But then when you look at the statistics and find out that, that members of the younger um, generations, whatever you call them, Gen Xers or Millennials, are 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 coming are at this point have have little to no knowledge of either of those things. What do you know about the makeup of uh, some of the hate groups in this country? Whether it's Proud Boys or uh, any yeah. of these other organizations, are do they fall into the demographic of uh, the Gen Zers or whatever the group is that is uh, that you cited that is not really aware of these atrocities in history? Well, I don't know. I wonder I, if there's a correlation there. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I I think that. If you're talking about, you know, and I don't even really, you know, Gen Z or millennial, I don't know what the ages are for those. Well, things. millennial would be older than Gen Zs, right? Right. So let's just say everybody between twenty and forty. And I don't know. There may maybe millennials are forty now. I have no idea, but um, I would say that uh, when you're when you're talking about teenage to thirty, um, if, if the people from that age group that are are drift into these 
racist, uh, you know, white supremacy groups, which is all Oath Keepers or any of them are. Um, they're they're um, they're lost people, you know, looking for some place to belong. They're outsiders that just don't feel part of the norm. I mean, they're losers in general, right? They're not dragging. They are not garnering members of well-adjusted white kids, right? So, so you have just it's just a place where all the people that kind of get left behind. Um, uh, end up going. It's one of the places, right? And so, and then as far as, you know, oh, I mean, I when you see Oath Keepers and stuff on TV, they're not particularly young. What do you remember about your education and the information you were taught about slavery and American history, in yeah, broadly speaking? Yeah, I mean, we, <clears throat> I, I'm going to say that in, when I was in about sixth grade, I think is when we learned about slavery and you know the civil war and slavery in so america that's, uh, 11 12 years old uh, a little younger probably right than that i don't know you probably know better than me i think I, that well junior, nowadays but w- was it always high? that way yeah like in the 19 <laughs> <laughs> would have been the 60s so i was born in 56 so in 66 i was 10 so um and you know so 67 i was 11 and 68 i was 12 so you know the summer love sixty nine. I was thirteen, so you know it was you just out always a little, just a little too young. <laughs> Were you aware of it? To be, yeah, I was aware of it because I was a. Uh, I wanted to be part of it. Right? I wanted to be at Woodstock. I, I was, I was, I wanted to be part of the counterculture. Right? You were kind of. I mean, at that age, were you were you buying your own music or not? Mm-hmm. Did you have allowance money to do that? Or yeah, I think I was at that age. I, I, uh, my music, my record acquisition started kind of interesting i did have allowance and and i did my you know my mother used to buy 45s for me so i have a pretty big 45 collection that they're all tore up i mean i played the hell out of them right and then that was all pop music stuff right rock and roll beatles monkeys whatever there was a lot of weird stuff on there um, then, you know, got a little bit older and albums, I got about $3 a week and albums cost $3. So I was buying about an album a week, but then it, right in that age range there, right around 11 or 12, I think that my, my mother put me in something called the Columbia record club. So I started to acquire more records by mail. Right. And that was interesting. Um, so I got a bunch of records from that that I didn't didn't depend on my allowance because she paid for it. So I could also buy. Records. It was mostly shitty music anyway, because <laughs> they had they had programs like that all the way know, up to when lot, I was a kid. I got a lot of stuff from that. You know, I there were um, there were sampler albums which were valuable to me because they were um, you know stereo LPs that had a wide variety of music on it, all Columbia artists and stuff like that. And then there were those. But I remember some of the specific albums and music that I got exposed to, like through the Columbia Record Club, I got the Big Brother and the Holding Company album with Janis Joplin recorded live in San Francisco, right? Big Brother and Holding Company with her most famous, you know, recordings on it. Sly and the Family Stone. It never, it wasn't being played on my AM radio station, right? Came to me, um, both of those particular albums. So one of the early Sly and the Family Stone albums and that Big Brother and Holding Company album, those albums came automatically 
and I didn't send them back. You, did, you, almost, did, you didn't know what you were getting. We almost never sent them back, right? Yeah. And um, and so they were there, so they eventually got played, so I eventually got exposed to them. So, like, I'm a huge Sly and the Family Stone, which is funk music, right, which is yeah. not one of my favorite genres, but but that was it. I, I didn't go on. I didn't. It was all rock and roll for me. It was all rock and hard rock is really what I wanted. So Sly and the Family Stone was kind of on the edge of that. It was really funk, but really the extension of that would have been George Clinton and, you know, and the Funkadelics and things like that, which I didn't move into. So it's it's interesting. So I'm grateful for all that. My my exposure to music was pretty wide-ranging. And and then all of the Beatles, all of the Monkees, all of that stuff, right? Well, you know, to tie this music conversation into this rabbit hole of race and history and teachings in mm -hmm. America, one thing that I think has helped is uh, is hip hop music because there's so many, you know, from probably what the late '90s forward uh, that that genre kind of crossed over, and there's so to white kids is what I'm saying. There's so mm -hmm. many, you know, white kids who have grown up that have to be part of that gen. Uh, would you say Z? Why? Gen Z, yeah. That uh, that I th I think you know have grown up on hip hop music, and the, on, and conversely on the other side, we got to get rid of country music because that <laughs> that's where all the Southern Hicks <laughs> live on their country music. Um, you know, country music just never worked for me. Me either. So, oh my um, god, it's I, so dull. So I'm sure I can think of several specific listeners uh, that I know about that I'm sure love country music, and I'm I'm not really here to disparage it one way or the other. But just, you know, you know it that fake speak to me, and neither does hip hop, particularly. So I never. But really... the cool thing about hip hop, I guess, and I'm not a you know music expert, but music in general, and all the way back to the stuff you were listening to when you were a kid, and the evolution of rock and roll, and mm -hmm. stuff that we now call classic rock. Mm. You can more more music by dead guys. <laughs> <laughs> you hear the influence and the evolution in the music, whether it's you know jazz. Like I, I was you know into drumming, so there's a lot of jazz drumming that mm -hmm. I like. Um, whether it's you know guys like Jimi Hendrix who figured out how to turn his guitar upside down so he could play left handed. <laughs> you know all the shit that is kind of cool that you can look back on musically. But country music is the same fucking twang and the Dallas Reigns fake accent that we were talking about earlier. It's like, does everybody sing like that? That drawl, you know, when you sing? I can't stand it. You know, the funny, the closest thing for me to country music um, is I did develop an appreciation for, it's got a couple of names, so bluegrass or roots music. Mm -hmm. So one of my favorite albums of all time is an album named Raising Sand. It's uh, it's uh, Robert Plant and oh my god, I'm two Robert Plant references in a row, two weeks it, in a row. Is it? Um, it's Robert Plant and uh, the the all time most famous female bluegrass singer. Oh, Jesus, I can't think of her name. It won Grammy that the year it came out for best album. They've recently done. Oh, is it recently? Right, Alison Krauss. <clears throat> Alison Krauss. Yeah. Right. So, Raising Sand specifically, one of the greatest albums I've ever listened to. Um, fantastic work for one of my past, you know, hard rock favorites. And uh, and then, of course, Alison Krauss. Um, just gorgeous between the singing and especially the singing and, of course, the violin playing. They, they've collaborated a lot, I think. Yeah, they've done a few things. They have just recently dropped a, their second collaboration. Um, and, and I haven't listened to it extensively, but what I've heard is good. But And Raising Sand is just one of those albums, you know. It's funny, I just... 
tangentially became aware of it at the time it dropped, watched the Grammys that year, <clears throat> got it, and uh, was I've, I listened to it a lot, you know. But I still listen to the hardest hard rock I can find. I listen to a lot of Godsmack, you know, stuff like that, Metallica. Um, although it's funny, I had an interesting experience. I went to a Metallica concert. Um, I've never been to a Godsmack concert, but I went to a Metallica concert at the Pond, at the Arrow, whatever you call it now, the Arrowhead. Yeah. The Honda Center. <clears throat> anyway, they had two opening acts. Which is, you know, I mean, that used to be the way. Well, here's the thing. Uh, uh, by the time I had to actually leave in the middle of the Metallica set. Because you had to pee? Because I just couldn't take it anymore. My, my How long ago was this? Six years ago, seven years ago. And and here's the thing, because we had to sit through, you know, I got there early. I yeah. to get there for the, all the bands. So the first two bands were Metallica clones. So... By the time we got to Metallica, I had had all of that I could take, and I just couldn't. You know, did you have good seats? Yeah, yeah, there were decent seats, but I just told David, "Go, hey, listen, can we go? My my head is starting to hurt." And and so um, that's never happened before. I never left a concert before. But I yeah, but you it, were already in your sixties at that well, time. Yeah, well, I wasn't. <laughs> you said it was a few years ago. Yeah, it was. Well, six or seven years ago, I wasn't in my sixties. Oh, all right. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was a weird thing. I, I think, uh, I'm not sure there was something else going. I can't remember if I, I didn't feel that good to begin with or something. Anyway, I, I was, I've always, um, regretted that, you know, I didn't get there just to see the Metallica set, right? That would have been fine. I would have got through their 45 minutes or hour and a half of music or something. But your whole, your whole youth of seeing music, that was, I'm assuming, the way that it was right because that was that was how bands largely became known is that you would you would you know be friends yeah. with a band they'd take you on tour you'd open up and then if you had success then you would kind of grow from there yeah well, like i don't I, know if you know this about me i'm a huge rush fan yeah, yeah i and, saw rush not too long ago yeah I, ago. i've seen him a bunch of times yeah. and uh back in the day like they, he's gone now yes did he die he died yeah oh, I, I think last year i think i did hear that but they um, they always cite that their big break uh, came from Kiss because Kiss took them out on the road multiple times. Really, but as as I think in the last, well, probably since uh, early two thousands, Rush would go out just by themselves, no opening act, three hour show. Yeah, well, and that would be okay, you know. I mean, I'm pretty sure that Metallica was probably pushing two and a half hour show. I think I sat through an hour and a half of it before I said, "Hey, gotta go." I just because by then it had been like four hours of this, and it really just was. So here's the thing, too. I mean, I've I've seen Black Sabbath. I saw Grand Funk Railroad. I've seen, you know, all the bands. I, I saw Jimi Hendrix. I saw, you know, Zeppelin. I mean, here's the the new the technology now. The music is louder than it than it ever was and and you're also older well and i think i might have been relatively close for this <laughs> for the metallica thing so all in all yeah and, and i'm older right it just physically my head was starting to hurt and um uh so there was a lot it was disappointing you know well, like but, when, you... when i did see acdc a few years before that and i was like okay so i had never been a huge acdc fan and always thought of it as like really some of the hardest rock you know, um, but wow, it was like one of the best concerts ever. You know, that was that that was. When, but when you were seeing rock shows, like I, 
you know, the pond didn't exist like when you were young. I saw a lot of stuff at the forum. Like the forum is a really cool yeah. place, but like you know, like old rock and roll, they bring like their stacks of their amps, like just a wall of amp, like an ACDC, right, or yeah. an Iron Maiden, yeah. you know, just a yeah. wall yeah. of amps. And then you know they're piping into the you know PA system of the arena. Well, the, PA, the PA systems have evolved over the years. Yeah, and it just has a lot to do with where you see it too. I mean, um, I mean, amps, stacks of amps on a stage that are not going through PA's is different, right? And it's never going to be as loud, no matter how big it was, right? And that's probably what you were used to. Well, I mean, you know, I get. I find myself when I can when I can perceive that most of the sound is coming out of the PA hanging out of the ceiling in front of me. I don't enjoy that as much as if I feel like the music's coming off the stage from the actual. Amps. Right. It all gets mushed. I mean, it just depends on the place. The to be honest with you, the Honda Center just doesn't have the best sound. No, it doesn't. Sports arenas. So if you want really good sound, you know, you, you want to go to a theater. Right, like the this, forum sounds decent. I think you know who knows. I mean, I saw a lot of stuff there in the nosebleed section. I mean, I could literally touch the ceiling when I saw you know, I saw Three Dog Night there. I saw the Rolling Stones there. I saw Stevie Wonder there. I mean, I, I can't even name all the bands that I saw there. Hendrix. Uh, that's where I saw Sabbath and uh, Grand Funk Railroad. You know, I saw Sabbath from directly behind this, or I saw Grand Funk Railroad from directly behind the stage. It was a ticket I got that afternoon, and um, they don't even put people behind the stage anymore, typically, right? No, I don't think so. That was a crazy thing. Um, uh, yeah, all the places, you know, I've been, I've seen it in a lot of places. I saw, I had really lucked out, you know, I've seen, I saw um, Santana three or four times at the Greek Theater. I saw Stevie Ray Vaughan three times, twice at the Greek, once at the Wiltern. Um, I saw, I've seen Joe Bonamassa at a variety of theaters. One of the best with this is the Saban, which is a converted, used to be the Wilshire Theater, the Wilshire Fox, and now it's called the Saban, and so, but it's converted into a music thing. Um, Would you take a sh shitty seats at an indoor theater over good seats at an outdoor theater? Out. Outdoor theater, like or outdoor arena, like yeah. uh, the Rose Bowl. You know, or I didn't. I didn't go to many shows. Hollywood Bowl. In, in those, I've really never been to you know a, an arena show um, of that type. You know, um, I, I, I just, I'm trying to think. I mean, I've never been to the Rose Bowl or, um, you know, or any other outdoor arena thing for a show. I mean, of any consequence. Uh, um, yeah, I've been to some, you know, I went to a couple of quasi, not music festivals, but outdoor. I think I saw one time I went to some, I can't remember where it was. It was an outdoor thing with no seats, right? And you sit on the grass or whatever. And there was Yes and Fleetwood Mac. and You sit on the grass was, and make friendship bracelets. It was, you know, people, <laughs> people, I mean, I couldn't do it now because if you try to, like, where I'm sitting, if you want to walk across my my uh, blanket or something, you know, <laughs> end up in a hassle, you know? So I kind of, I kind of didn't, I didn't like those things. Uh, I didn't, I wouldn't ever go anywhere without seating anymore. So I would prefer now to my favorite thing is to go try to see a music act in a, in a, some kind of converted or purpose built, you know, music theater, right. Rather than some kind of sports arena. Mine would be on my big screen TV. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, well, it's uh, it's uh, it's getting tempting. I mean, the sound is, um, but the sound I have at home at this stage of the game um, is probably better than you're going to experience in any life situation. So, without all the bullshit, the parking, the hiking in, yeah, the people, no, I have not, no. <laughs> no, 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 you know, I'm past all that, really. Do I they mean, teach? Do I even care? I don't really even care if I see another live show. The yeah, last live show I went to see was um, uh, Gary. Um, oh my god. Um, well, I can just this Gary. What's he? What's he do? He's a he's the um, black guitarist. Uh, oh, Gary Clark. Gary Clark. Yeah, I remember you telling yeah. me when you saw him. Yeah, that and was he's awesome. Badass. That was at the Ford Theater. So. Great place to see a show, you know. It's a great place. I mean, I think that's as big as 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 big a venue as I really want to go to. You know, the Greek theater was outside. I saw a lot of bands there. I saw Jean Lupante. I saw. I've seen a bunch of bands at the Greek theater. It was always pretty good. Um, Do they teach? You know, we were we were talking about uh, education prior to this <laughs> tangent. They used to teach music in schools. I, do they do that anymore? Hmm. Yeah, do you know, well, I don't. Yeah, they do. I mean. So, you know, I have a lot of classic stories. I'm not going to bore everybody listening. Well, not everybody, but most everybody that knows me has heard every story I have. But, you know, I I started taking, I wanted to learn, I I was playing the drums on my own. And then at some point I was going to go into junior high school, I think. I don't know. I think it was junior high school. And um, I think I signed up that, that at the end of sixth grade to take a, a class beginning per winds and percussion, right? And so you were pretty good at the wind part, right? <laughs> well, I wanted to play drums, <laughs> right? So I go in there, and there's fuck, there's sixty people in this class. No right? shit. And so it's in a it's in a, a music room, and then there's a separate room inside where the where the music teacher had an office. And so he was the first day he was taking people in there, and we had all signed up what instrument we wanted to play. And um, so I had signed up for the drums. So there's like out of this class of 60, there's like 30 of the people signed up for drums. So he says, listen, he comes in, he hands me the mouthpiece from a trumpet. So I don't know if you're familiar. Most brass instruments have a, a, a mouthpiece that fits into the end of the instrument. And um, anybody can play the instrument, but you typically use your own mouthpiece. <laughs> And so anyway, he gives me one, it cleaned it out, wiped it off with alcohol and gives it to me, tells me to buzz my lips and blow into it. And I, I made a decent sound out of it and kind of like a kazoo or something. Right. He goes, okay, you're, you're a trumpet player. And I'm like, no, wait, 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 wait. And there's a misunderstanding here. I signed up to play the drums. He goes, listen, he goes, um, there are 30 people in this class that signed up to play the drums. And if you want me to teach you to play the drums, I will. But we're going to play as an ensemble, and on any given day, I'm only going to need six drummers. Everybody else that's signed up to learn drums is going to play the tuba. But even then, at, it, at best, yeah. you were going to play a drum, a snare drum, a bass drum. You weren't going to play the drum kit. No, that this was, yeah, these were marching. These were, you know. Yeah, that's not drum. drumming. That sucks. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, did you ever take drum paradiddles? Yeah, paradiddles yes, and all that shit? of so, course. So I didn't take it. I said, no, no, I'll, I'll, I don't want to carry tuba. So I, I took it and I learned to play the trumpet. And consequently, I learned to read music. And so that was good. I continued to play the drums on my own and, Right around that time, I got a trap set, and you know, when I but just teach you know, myself. in your uh, music studio at home, I don't think I see a trumpet hanging on the wall. 
No, um, so when I was 16, I was in the band. I So, I you know, what are you going to high school at like 14 or something, mm-hmm. right? So I went into the to my high school and I got into the marching band playing trumpet. So it was like third chair trumpet or something. Um, my parents had bought me, at that point, they bought me a pretty decent trumpet. It was a binge. It was silver trumpet rather than brass. It was pretty sweet. Um, they kind of outdid themselves on that. They didn't have much money for that kind of stuff. So, But I'm sure my dad was involved in that. So um, that was sweet. I liked it. I played it. I played in the high school jazz band. I played in a city band. I played in a city jazz band. Um, playing trumpet and I marched and all that shit. And then things happened. Is that why you don't like walking now? Yeah, it is part of it. <laughs> and then, um, and then things got, and I decided I didn't want to play in the school band anymore. I didn't like the way it was being run. I didn't like that. I didn't like it. And so, um, I had a really cool, I had a private trumpet teacher too, that I took lessons from outside of school. And, um, <clears throat> He was a cool guy. You, you couldn't give him no shit. He's a trumpet player with a hair lip, right? <laughs> so it's like, it's like you know, when you go to complain about, you know, how your lips hurt or something, and you look at him, you can see he had a big mustache that kind of covered yeah. the hair lip, but still you knew it was there. So it was kind of like, yeah, I can't complain to this guy. Because <laughs> he plays trumpet. He played professionally. He wow. played in Vegas and stuff too. So anyway, I sold the trumpet. Uh, when I was disaffected with the band, I didn't want to do it anymore. I got out of band. That was easy to do. Went into uh, some kind of weird co-ed uh, volleyball class, which I ended up teaching, if you can believe that. And uh, where it's where they stuck all, there were a bunch of people that left band. And so uh, those of us that left band had, had been in band, had never had PE, right? So no, none of that. So then we have to take, you're not in band, you have to take PE. It was a, like a state law or something. And so um, at the same time, I got my driver's license. And so, I sold the trumpet once I didn't want to play it anymore for 300 bucks and paid my first year or second year of insurance. Um, 300 bucks is a lot of money back then for the trumpet. Yeah. Yeah. It was an expensive trumpet. Um, no shit. And I used that money to, uh, pay my insurance, (laughs) my car insurance, which was much more important to me than playing the trumpet. (laughs) But at that point I was, you know, I played the drums the whole time through it. Right. And then, Many years later, probably around 1980-ish or something, um, my mother bought a, a Casio mini keyboard as a Christmas present for me, more as a toy. And um, so I got a hold of that thing. I never took any lessons for that. and But so it didn't take me long to figure out which keys were which notes. I, did, I had learned to read music by playing the trumpet. And so um, then I was able to get music and play the chord so you look at the guitar chord mm-hmm. figure out that the you know whatever it's an a so you figure out the that a chord what the root is and then you can um play the chords and sing along or do whatever so i started playing that until i mean i played it so much i broke one of the keys on it. i used to just plug it into a stereo but i had a had a stereo jack on the back so same place you plug your headphones just right plugged it in <clears throat> and then uh not long after that, probably around eighty one, eighty two, I probably bought a, a Roland keyboard with a with a floppy disk, so you could actually do some. It's called a workstation, so I still have it, still works. And uh, and then a few years later, I bought a Korg, which is a pretty large synthesizer. But and then in my music, I room, I have a electronic drum kit, so um, 
And but I am really feeling the uh, the itch to break out all of my acoustic drums, and but I'll need to set them up in the front room. We got space in the back here. You can set them yeah, up back over here. Yeah, we can set them up. Well, speaking of music, have, are you following this story? It involves one of your least favorite people Uh-oh. and a musical legend. This Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> No, the Joe Rogan Neil Young controversy. Oh, Have you God. heard this story? Well, you know what's funny because I, I thought about this on the way down here. Rather, we're going to talk about this, and um, I have never listened to Joe Rogan. Um, what little I yeah, you formed an opinion. Yeah, I don't like him. Uh, I don't. I don't. <laughs> hey, I've been having him. this conversation a lot in my house lately, mostly around food, about yeah. what food the children have already declared they don't like, and I have to now say, well, how do you know you don't like it, or you love chicken nuggets, right? Yes. Well, before you ever had a chicken nugget, did you know you were going to like it? And my daughter knew I trapped her when I said that. She goes, fine, I'll try this. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I, th- I had decided not to bring it up and, and not to uh, talk about Joe Rogan. Um, and I still really don't feel that comfortable talking about Well, let's about talk about him. Neil Young. Yeah, because <laughs> Neil Young I do know a lot about. I think um, I think Neil once again, uh, much as he did, and it was uh, uh, it was forever cast in stone in the Leonard Skinner song um, uh, "Sweet Home Alabama." Oh, Neil Young, we don't need you around anyhow. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Neil at this stage of the game is over. I um, mean, he apparently does six million downloads a month or something like that, some incredible number for any musician, uh, which I find. It's just, I don't know. Um, I almost never listen to him anymore. And when I do listen to him, it's not new stuff. So, yeah. um, but that, that, uh, just that download over- number would be a, rev- that's a revolving number, right? That would be just people listening to whatever his catalog is on, I guess, Spotify. And, and it's big. So, yeah. And I don't use Spotify. You know, I, I do all of my online music stuff through Apple Music. So I think that he has overestimated his, value to people in general i mean this is uh this is a way to protest joe rogan's apparent uh, covid vaccination misinformation and and what i have heard and have not been able to personally substantiate is that he says a lot of shit about covid and vaccines that is wrong and but here's the thing and he has guests on that he he has guests on that purport that put out a lot of this misinformation and he apparently does not hold their feet to the fire the way he does with other guests regarding other subjects so it's making people say that he is actively promoting vaccine misinformation which i don't like i and uh but i mean do I think do, what do I think of Neil Young pulling his music off Spotify? My apparently Spotify said, "Hey, we'll see you." you that's know? exactly, hey, and that's the back? thing. Let us know. And someone who listens to Joe Rogan, I don't listen to every episode, of course, but I like Joe Rogan. Uh, I, I listen to him, but it, this whole thing is fucking stupid because you know, first of all, Neil Young he draws a line in the sand and says. You must fire Joe Rogan, and if you don't, you know, pick him or me. Rather than just saying, you can have Joe, you can have Rogan, you can have Young, but you can't have both. That's what he said. That's his quote. But what he should have said is, like, who the fuck is he to demand Spotify to do anything? He should have just said, "Hey, Spotify, 
in, in light of the fact that you host Joe Rogan and I don't like what he's saying, I'm no longer allowing you, I'm not going to license my music to you anymore. Like, don't make Spotify choose. He should have just had the balls to say, I'm pulling my catalog. Well, I mean, that's what he did anyway. They pulled it because they didn't. No, he told them to take his shit off. They, he never should have put them in the middle of it. Well, I, I don't disagree. I mean, I think it's an ineffective way to protest that. I mean, Neil Young is not particularly famous for I mean he's always been a little bit of a you know activist and this and that but um and some of the some of the hills he's chose to die on are a little bit I mean yeah music quality and stuff like he you know I mean it's funny after all these years that he's even on Spotify because because it, he was an anti-Napster guy if yeah, I remember. well he was anti mp3 but the the formats have changed and yeah. the fidelity is greater but it's, it's not anywhere close to what what he thought it should be but whatever, I mean, that was his thing. He, his opinion, he was entitled to it. And I think he's famous enough that if he wanted to come out publicly and tell people that he thought Joe Rogan was, you know, wrong and terrible for saying those things, he could just do it. But here's the other thing. This, this is what surprised me about a guy like Neil Young who... Well, he's getting but wasn't he always kind of like, you know, the anti-war era of going against the mainstream media and challenging the mainstream rhetoric? And so my point to all that is, and you haven't listened to Joe Rogan, so we don't need to debate that. But the point is this, even if there is legitimate, quote unquote, misinformation, the best way to combat that is with truthful information, not silencing people, right. not silencing the media, not silencing books, yeah. not silencing voices. Write a song about it and put it on Spotify. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, really, doesn't that seem like the more appropriate way for him to respond to something like that? I mean, he's not particularly, well, he's not really particularly known for espousing his points of view on things. I mean, we've heard him on various things, but it's always been through music that he's made the the political points that he's made over the years. And, the anti and, he, and he's always been kind of the outcast, right? Well, you know, like, did, was he ever really part of Crosby, Stills, and Nash and Young? <laughs> I mean, come on. Are you a hanger on or what? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, he's just, he's been a huge, you know, musical influence and in, in that part of it, I don't, you know, and, and none of this detracts from that for me. I, I'm just sad to see a story in the media about him going up against a thoroughly modern, and worthless, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, a guy like Joe Rogan. He's not though. He, the truth is, he is the new king of all media. That you know term was was coined by Howard Stern for many many years. But the point about Rogan, and I can tell you from the things that I've listened to, yeah. is w the comments you made about not pushing back. That's not what it's about. Like most of his podcast is one on one interviews, long form. So you know, you and I do a similar format, but it's you and I every week mm -hmm. versus a guest. So he's got guests in there that are making claims. Who is he to challenge that? It's the guest saying those words. Let, and, and a lot of times, and most recently, he's had guests who are doctors in various fields uh, that, not, that, not, that are related to COVID. No. They are. Absolutely. Yeah, but here's the thing. Uh, uh, and let those guys just because you're doctor, hang on their own words. Just because you're a doctor doesn't make you any kind of expert on COVID. But if you're a, if you're a doctor, what is the field again that uh, virologists or whatever the hell they are? Well, I mean, it, 
there it, there are multiple fields. So I understand. If you're not, it doesn't what, also make them right. If even you're not if you're what an Fauci in that field. is, then you're not really an authority on anything. But some of these guys related. have been, and well, they've said things contrary to what Fauci I can said. Only, listen, I can only I can only tell you what I've heard. That I know he has gas on, and when that when when he that when he disagrees with whatever point they're espousing, he 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 goes at him much harder. And when he has had people with with misinformation on his show regarding COVID, he has softballed it with them. And that makes people think that. But that may be because he agrees with them. And that's okay. But but I can tell you there are other times, well, like another a, name. It's that not you, okay if you agree. If it's why not? It's not okay if you agree someone who is purposely putting out misinformation well, about COVID. Again, who? why does... Well, I'm going to tell you that, that Fauci would be the one that makes that decision about what is correct and what isn't. But and, but what is not debatable, like, for example, if somebody says, hey, I, I won't take the vaccine. You and I have strong opinions about that. You know, we've talked about it a lot. We're both vaccinated. But if somebody says, I won't take the vaccine, there's nothing to dispute. That's that person's statement. You can disagree with it. But that, why? But the reason why that's. I don't a, think that's who he's had on. Right? He has. Oh, absolutely. So he's had people on to say, I and won't he, take the vaccine. And he, that's and he, not much. And he is unvaccinated and he's anti-vax, if you want to call it that. So he's an idiot. Perhaps. But the point is that why is that like all of a sudden so earth shattering that he's so dangerous because this is one man's opinion? I, I it's because of his I influence. I don't think he's I don't think he's significant at all, to be honest with you. I mean. I get that he's popular right now and he's he has monetized his podcast thing but in the scope of things his opinions will not have a shred of influence on anything in the long run. And if that's true why are people so upset about it? Like who was it somebody else it was Only only Neil is of this. No, there was it. somebody uh in the US government. I I I got to give you the person's name and position. I think it was the uh Surgeon General who came out and said we need to censor Joe Rogan? Well, I mean, here's the thing: when you when you're talking about public health matters, and you have someone who has a high profile position in media, one way or the other, lying about something, those are the kind of reactions you're going to get from people. Yes, I understand all that up to the point of taking action. Like you would never, you can't, you should never censor people if if. If that person not, or that forum, yeah. I don't know you're not saying this. I'm not If they have such a huge influence, come out with a bigger influence and say why yeah, it's wrong. Well, I think that the, I mean, I'm not aware of the Surgeon General, but I know who you're talking about. I know who he is. Um, I, I, you know, I think that's probably, I mean, I think as soon as you come out and say, hey, he should, if that's what he said, that he should be censored, I, I think that's. You know, I can't, I don't agree with that. I mean, so, I mean, if that's, those are the actual words, he, the terminology he used. He called on big tech to censor Joe Rogan. Well, I mean, that's different, right? That's different. That, I mean, if you have a government, government official that has come out and saying somehow the government should censor Joe Rogan, that's completely wrong. I think that it's perfectly fine for anybody to suggest that, that, um, would you call it? Big tech, mm -hmm. okay, that's fine. I think it's fine for for someone to suggest that big tech has a responsibility to take down misinformation, especially regarding public health issues, off of their platforms. And you know, I think it's it's fine with me if he suggests that. I don't think Joe Rogan is worth any of that, right? So 
just doing that. Here's the thing. If you want, if you want to have a negative of, how do I say this? If you, if you, if you just let a, you know, somebody that's misguided like Joe Rogan, I'll try to stay away from the personal attacks as I can tell you like him as a, as a personality. Well, I've never met him. I don't know him. Right. No, but I mean, you like him as a, as a media personality. That's fine. I, I just think that if you want to minimize his effect, don't, you know, don't, don't say shit like that because but I like, let's say that was to happen. If, if you were, if, if he was to be deplatformed or something over this, you just make it more important than it needs to be. He really has. And that's my point. He has, he has no gravitas. He, he nobody thinks Joe Rogan is an expert on anything. Well, that isn't that the point. And I like to think I'm consistent in my arguments on various topics and w why I've said things like Trump, you got to go soon. Yeah. Why I've said things uh, about Trump and silencing him is let him hang himself. Let him say what he yeah. wants to say. I totally support the right of if Spotify wanted to cancel Joe Rogan, Twitter kicks Trump off yeah. their platform. Well, I, it's a private entity. They have every right to do yeah, that. I think totally think that. But you shouldn't do it. I'm totally in we agreement. We shouldn't root for people yeah, who do it. I'm totally in agreement with any form of deplatforming Donald Trump because he is a dangerous uh piece of shit but rogan is not he's just i think he's probably an idiot but um uh, he's not dangerous and he has no gravitas he but the, no but the danger influence. the danger is that it could morph into that he's gonna he's gonna be gone but you know that's we the accusation in 10 years that nobody, remains to be seen who nobody knows will remember his name perhaps unless that, you unless you somehow make him into a martyr well listen that remains to be seen and perhaps you're right but the point is this we should never root for anybody to be silenced. We should root for people who are proven wrong because the truth is more powerful than the lie, but we should never root for people to be silenced. That's what bugs the fuck out of me. Yeah, I'm not rooting for Joe Rogan to be silenced. Thank you, sir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not really on, and I know it's a hard one, not really on, um, I just have forgotten his name already, Neil Young's side on this, right? So, I mean, I would just like Neil Young to make his music and, and stay out of the rest of it. I, well, I, I would like that and for Neil Young to not make music anymore. <laughs> well, that's why. <laughs> Is his new he stuff even any better? Uh, you know, at all, I mean, it doesn't, his, you know, the stuff that I do listen to from him, some of his older stuff, and of course his collaborations with with uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, I mean, that's all really good stuff, right? But, you know, that was a different time and place, and I think that, I, I have no knowledge that his musical skills have declined in any way, but I haven't heard him say anything I particularly care about one way or the other in quite a long time in public or in, in song. So um, I think, you know, it's just a little bit sad because such a huge musical influence does become irrelevant at some point, you know, after a while. So, yeah, just a, I've always found him to be a, an unusual case, you know, and as he's turned into this really weird old guy. <laughs> what it, What's his lyric? Isn't it? Uh, it's better to something it's fade away. Better to fade, fade away. away than rust or something. Yeah, like that. yeah, that was a great song. I mean, right, uh, very prophetic in its own thing. He <laughs> just sort of fade away. Exactly, he's rusting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so unfortunately, you got to uh, go. I have a scheduling yep. conflict, so. Hey, good to talk to everybody, uh, and good to see you, Travis. Good to see you, Dr. Watkins. Okay. Until next time, everybody. All right, bye.